I want to introduce Rich Henderson. Rich is the director of Love, Inc. in Santa Clara, and you're going to get to hear from him. Uh, we bring him up periodically. This is a, a key way as a church that we are able to um, find broader needs in the community and express our gifts. So uh, I'll say nothing more about that because Rich has lots more to say about it. So would you welcome Rich Henderson, please? Well, thanks, Dave. Thanks a lot. I'm... Uh... Glad to be here this morning for a couple reasons. One, this is my church, and so if I wasn't here, I'd be skipping church, which is not good. And then I'm glad to be here because I'm preaching, and if I wasn't here preaching, David would be real nervous, so I'm really glad to be here with you guys. Um, three things I want to do this morning. First of all, share with you some biblical principles of helping people in need that aren't well known to us as Americans. And number two, tell you about Love, Inc. and how you can volunteer to serve people in need in this neighborhood. And number three tell you about our long-term budget coaching program and encourage you to either be a participant or a coach or refer somebody who should be a participant or a coach. And I want to start with a story. So a, new lady, a newly wedded couple were sharing their first Easter dinner together, and the husband noticed that when the wife was preparing the Easter ham, she cut off both ends of the ham and threw them in the trash. And he said, what are you doing that for? That seems like a waste of good ham. And she said, well, I'm doing that because that's what my mom did. So he called his mother-in-law, and he said, uh, your daughter did this. She said, you did it. Why do you do it? And the mother-in-law said, well, I did it because my mother did it, right? So then he calls his grandmother-in-law, and he, he explains the situation. She, he says, so why did you cut off both ends of the ham? And she said, well, I did it because my roasting pan was too small to fit a full-size ham. Okay. <laughs> I thought about that, and there's a lot of things that we do that we just get passed along to us, right? Without thinking, is this the wise thing to do? Is this the biblical thing to do? And I was in that position as the director of Love, Inc. Here we were a Christian ministry uh, designed to help people in need and helping each other, helping people in need, trying to do it like typical Americans without really thinking, is this the right way to do it? Is this the way God commands us to do it? There's a, a verse um, that really... Um, struck me. It's from Romans 12, 2, and uh, I like the uh, uh, message paraphrase of it. It says this, uh, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And I thought, that's what I've done as a loving director. I'm an American. Here's how we help people in America, and so let's do it this way. Without asking, is this the way the Bible tells us to do it? Um, some of the principles that I'm going to be sharing with you uh, can be found at a website called redemptivecompassion.org. It's in your CG questions listed there. Um, I encourage you to take some time to check it out. Uh, so let me give you an example about uh, how we typically think of needs as Americans and uh, contrast that to what the Bible says. So here's the example. You're, you're shopping at your neighborhood uh, uh, grocery store. You push your cart out, and there's a um, young man there, kind of unkept clothes, straggly hair, uh, straggly beard, and he, uh, he asks you for some money to buy food. And so typically what we start, the, the line of reasoning we start going down is, okay, so should I give him money to buy food or should I buy some food for myself? And is there a food pantry nearby here that I can direct him to? You know, he looks kind of poor. Maybe he qualifies for food stamps. Maybe I could... Uh, uh, get them in that direction and help them sign up for food stamps. And if we get food to the person who asks us for food, we feel like we've done what we're supposed to do. Uh, where is all of our attention in this situation? 
It's on the need, right? It's on the food. Um, and there's a reason for that. As Americans, we live in a, a wealthy and materialistic culture, and we have a very need-focused approach to poverty alleviation. And this is even more so since for the last about uh, 85, uh, 90 years or so, the government has been involved in helping people in need, and they have a very need-focused approach to poverty alleviation. So what aren't we focusing on? We're not focusing on the young man, are we? We don't even know his name. Uh, we haven't heard the backstory of why he's asking for a spare change to buy food. We haven't done any investigation to find out if his story is true. We don't know if the Lord would want us to help him buy food or not. And you say, what? You know, doesn't Matthew 25, what you did to the least of these, you did to me when you fed them, you fed me. Doesn't God uh, want us, doesn't Jesus want us to help uh, feed those that are hungry? Well, here's the thing. Feed them isn't the only instruction the Bible gives us regarding those who ask us for food. This is uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It's in your notes. Paul says this, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. So giving food to someone too lazy to work actually works counter to the purposes of God in that person's life. Uh, Proverbs 16.26 says, a worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. You feed him, you take away his incentive to work, and you also diminish his dignity because part of being created in God's image is being a worker, like our creator is. I know a, a young person, a young man, who uh, chose not to live by his uh, parents' house rules regarding uh, drugs and alcohol, and therefore was homeless for a season. And while he was homeless, he started panhandling, and one of the men that he met gave him $50, and uh, no doubt the man that gave him $50 felt really good about himself, but he shouldn't have. Uh, without, without any money, the young man would have come to his senses sooner, and the luster of homelessness would have worn off more quickly, and he, he would have returned home where he could get the support of his family as he got treatment for his drug addiction. The kind man's $50 allowed the young man to stay homeless and drug addicted longer. This story brings up another place where our culture differs from the Bible. For most Americans, the most important thing about uh, helping people in need is that the helper feels good about him or herself. Um, I was a branch of uh, my bank, Bank of the West in Morgan Hill, over Christmas, and they had a uh, fundraiser for the Angel Tree, uh, a nonprofit. Great nonprofit. It provides uh, uh, Christmas toys for uh, people who are incarcerated, their children. And um, uh, what was fascinating to me is the way that they advertised and tried to motivate people to give. Their uh, sign in front of the Christmas tree said this, give to our angel tree fundraiser, you'll feel good about yourself. So when did feeling good about yourself become the most important thing about helping others? If we're truly going to help as God would have us, isn't it possible, in fact likely, that sometimes we're going to have to do things that don't make us feel good at, about ourselves or the situation. Uh, I run a, a long-term, with Love, Inc., we run a long-term budget coaching program. I'll tell you a lot more about it in a few minutes, but the program holds clients accountable for attendance and doing their homework. And uh, we had a couple that was coming that I had to give repeated warnings to for tardiness, for coming late. And uh, one time, pretty close to the end of uh, the program, six or seven weeks from the end, they were an hour late to class. And I had to pull them aside and say, I'm sorry, that's it. 
you're, I got to drop you. And uh, the woman was uh, very upset, tried to manipulate me to keep, keep her in the class. Had one of her friends call me during the week to try and manipulate me to allow her to keep coming to class. Uh, I got to tell you, that didn't, that didn't feel good. Yet it was the right and loving thing to do because they needed to learn that there are consequences to their decisions and their actions. Uh, I would have done them a disservice by not holding them to the requirements of the program. Uh, Nancy really wants me to tell this story. It's going to add like two or three minutes to my sermon. Uh, if you're okay with it, I'll do it. All right, get thumbs up over. Those of you that aren't okay, I guess you can leave two or three minutes early. So, uh, About a month ago, we were watching our uh, two-year-old granddaughter. Uh, and during lunch with her, she stops and she looks up at me and she says, I like you, Grandpa. And I thought, oh, how great is that, you know, to have your granddaughter say she likes you. And then uh, a few days later, we took her to the park, and uh, we saw a lady walking her dog. It was a dog on a leash, older dog. We asked the lady, can we pet your dog? She said, oh, yeah, the dog's good with children, so we pet the dog. And then we were walking back to the car, and another dog showed up at the leash, uh, at the park. This dog was off-leash, and it was a pit bull, okay? And Violet sees the dog and starts to run after it. And instantly, my grandpa, you know, alert button goes off, and she can run faster than I can, so uh, I couldn't stop this from happening. So I said, Violet, stop immediately. She stopped, and her lips started to quiver, and her head went down, and she started to cry, you know. And I thought, I thought so if, if before it was, I like you, Grandpa, this is, I don't like you, Grandpa, right? I mean, this is like the worst you can get. Uh, my, my wife said her mom uh, would have, when the kids would say something like, I hate you. She would say, hate away, you still got to obey. <laughs> and I thought, Violet, you know, I love you. I, I want what's best for you. And so I'm willing to have you not like me in this moment to keep you from getting mauled by a strange pit bull. So uh, sometimes we've got to do things that we really want to help people that aren't going to make us feel good about ourselves or the situation. Uh, in my work, many pastors tell me about the compassion ministries their church is involved with. And I remember one pastor talking to me about a big service day their church had, uh, had done to help, help the community. And uh, he made this comment, our folks felt really good about it. And I remember thinking, well, that's nice, you know, that they felt really good about it. But that really has no impact on whether or not it was a worthwhile thing to do. Um, I talked with an interim pastor of another church recently, and she said this, our church members do a lot of things to help people in need that they feel really good about, but they shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't feel good about helping people in, in need in a way that causes us to be proud while diminishing their dignity and keeping them trapped in poverty. So if feeling good about helping isn't a reliable guide, how do we know what we should do to help? Well, this is where Jesus uh, helps us out with his example. John 5, 19, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So Jesus didn't take the initiative during his ministry on earth. He sought the Father and, and did what he saw the Father was doing. He took all his directives from the Father. Uh, and we're called to, be this, to do the same. Since the person that we're trying to help is of great value to God, they're made in his image, they're of great value to him, we're to make the assumption he's already been seeking to work in their life before their interaction with us. Uh, 
So as we hear their story, we investigate their request, we seek to prayerfully discern what he's been doing so we can cooperate with him. Uh, that's what Job said he did. In Job uh, 29, 16, he says, I was a father to the needy, and I investigated the case which I did not know. You've got a case, you don't know the details, you've got to investigate to know what God is doing and how you can appropriately join him. Another, another difference between biblical help and what's common in our culture can be illustrated by the two words for or with. Uh, do we help by doing things for people or do we help by doing things with people? Now, there's certainly a times when it's appropriate to do things for people. Uh, not, too, not too long ago, the campfire burned pretty much the town of uh, paradise to the ground. It's very uh, appropriate at that time to do things for people, right? To bring them clothes, to bring them food, shelter, that kind of thing. That's very appropriate. But at a certain point in the recovery process, we need to stop doing things for people and start doing things with people. In other words, uh, come alongside people and partner with them as they seek to meet their own need. It's the old uh, teach a man to fish versus give a man a fish idea. At Love, Inc., our slogan for this is to require the able-bodied to lift their end of the couch. We understand that they need help, that lifting a couch is a two-person job, but if we're being asked to be on one end, we expect them to be on the other end. When we do for people what they can and should do for themselves, it reinforces the idea that they are incapable, and it takes a tremendous amount of discernment to do benevolence work in a way that doesn't further damage the self-worth of the person asking for help, but instead affirms their potential of their God-given abilities. Uh, the Old Testament has a great illustration of this in the practice of gleaning. I put the reference there from uh, Leviticus uh, 19, uh, 9 and 10. In gleaning, the uh, Old Testament law demanded that the farmers leave the edges of their field unharvested so that the poor in the community could come and harvest that part of the field and have food to eat. Uh, it, was, it wasn't a demeaning handout because food wasn't given to the poor. They had to work as harvesters to do it, so they retained their dignity, and yet it allowed the farmers to be generous by leaving those edges of the field unharvested. So those are some of those uh, principles that are different than the way we typically uh, um, do things in our country. I encourage you to go to that Redemptive Compassion uh, website uh, and uh, look, at, look at more. I want to move now into what is uh, Love, Inc., and uh, how can you help? So Love, Inc. forms when churches in a community decide they want to work together to help people in need in their community. And here in our community, that happened about 30 years ago when uh, Love, Inc. got started. Love, Inc.'s mission is to mobilize local churches to help people in need in a life-transforming way. Uh, we are one of 134 Love, Inc. affiliates around the uh, United States. Nearly all of our clients are low-income. Many are elderly or disabled. Some are single moms. All services are rendered free of charge as a tangible expression of Jesus' love for the person in need. And you know how most clients find out about Love, Inc.? They call a secular agency, and a secular agency says you should call Love, Inc. Isn't that cool? That secular agencies are referring people to love in the name of Christ. Um, over... Uh, our 30-year history, uh, thousands of families in our area have been helped uh, by Calling Love, Inc. Uh, Dave mentioned in January in his sermon, uh, A Beautiful Day for Our Neighborhood, that one of the ways that our congregation makes it a beautiful day for our neighborhood is in our partnership uh, with Love, Inc. Some of our neighbors call the Love, Inc. office for help. When they do, 
We uh, investigate the request to make sure that it's specific, legitimate, and manageable. And what, once we vet the need, found out, find out it's legitimate, we pass the service opportunity to the Loving Network Church that's closest to the client home. So for folks that live in this neighborhood, that's going to be NBC. Uh, if you have helped a Loving client in the past, or if you've made a donation to Loving in the past to allow us to help a Loving client, would you just raise your hand? All right, a lot of folks around here. Can we uh, show our appreciation to these folks for uh, representing our church to uh, people in need in our neighborhood? Um, Dave, Dave's mentioned uh, a number of times that there's a, uh, a box in the cards on the back uh, of the chair in front of you that says, put me in, coach. And we have a similar uh, thing at Love, Inc. It's this talent survey. It's in your bulletin right now. I'd like you to grab that and pull that out. Uh, what this does is give us an inventory at the Love, Inc. office of uh, your skills and your willingness to help uh, people in need in the neighborhood around this church. Uh, you aren't obligating yourself to help meet a specific need by uh, filling this out, but you're letting us know, here's what I can do, and I want to help. Uh, I uh, encourage you to fill it out. We're going to be passing it to the uh, ushers at the end of the row uh, when, when my part of the uh, message is over. And uh, I want you to, uh, if you've filled one of these out before, I'd like you to fill it out again. And, and here's the reason. Uh, just this last week, I sent a yard work request to Chuck Adam. And uh, Chuck emailed me back saying, hey, I've had really bad back problems last year, so you ought to take me off the list for uh, yard work. Well, this, by giving me a current talent survey, you can help us be up to date on who can, uh, who can help in, in what ways. Um, the kind of needs that we uh, help with are reflected on the talent survey. They're things like uh, um, minor home repairs, yard work, house cleaning, packing and moving, computer repairs, paperwork, budget coaching, and providing a friendly visitor. And if you've got a family with young children, uh, yard work and house cleaning especially can be a great thing to get, uh, get your whole family involved in and let the kids see your example of helping people in need. When we uh, folks call our office, actually uh, Penny here is one of our receptionists. Penny, you want to raise your hand? And when, uh, thank you. So when Penny answers the phone, she says, love in the name of Christ, love Inc. of South San Jose. So right away, they know they've reached a Christian ministry. That means that you can be very forthright in your Christian faith with the folks that are helping because they called love in the name of Christ, asking for help. Uh, most of our clients are unchurched. So it's really a way to do local missions work in the neighborhood surrounding our church. Uh, when a person calls, uh, someone from our church will give you an opportunity to uh, serve them. And if you accept, you're agreeing to a one-time commitment to uh, meet the client's particular need. And having said that, we encourage you to use that one-time uh, service opportunity as a door opener to build a relationship with them. Uh, we had folks that have become a part of our church as a result of being helped by a a member of our church here before. Um, I want to move into uh, our budget coaching program. Uh, <clears throat> so our mission at Love, Inc. is to mobilize local churches to transform lives and communities in the name of Christ. In uh, 2015 through 2016, for about seven and a half months, we went through a major reorganization because we said, how do we, how do, we uh, do ministry, not in a way that's typical American, but uh, according to what the Bible says? And uh, we went through the major reorganization as a result. And one of the questions we ask is, uh, 
Uh, are there some things we need to change about our menu of services so that we're offering services that are uh, conducive to build a relationship with folks? And so as a result of that, uh, one of the things that we cut off of our menu of services was uh, auto repairs because typically it's a car guy that knows how to do auto repairs. He's underneath the client's car while the client's in their house watching TV. Not a whole lot of relationship going on, so we cut that out. Uh, we also ask, are there some things that we're doing that we can enhance uh, to, to have uh, better relationships? And the one that we settled on was uh, budget coaching. Uh, the reason why is because there's repeated meetings between the client and their budget coach, and it turns out that what people do with their money reveals a lot about their values, their addictions, their self-image. So it's really a great area to get involved in. We started our uh, offering budget mentoring first in 2006. Uh, at first, it was four meetings with a budget coach spread out over six weeks. Uh, last year, we took a huge step forward uh, in our budget coaching program, and we started what we're calling a comprehensive transformational ministry program. And we, uh, that's an odd, those are audacious words, but we chose them deliberately. So uh, comprehensive, we want to help the person with not just their budget, but their whole life. And transformational, we really want to make a sustainable, lifelong uh, transformation in their life as a result of the program. We don't, we're not content with just behavior modification for a certain time, but a total and lasting change in the way a person lives. Uh, last year was our first round of our CompTM program, started on uh, uh, February 10th, and it ended 36 weeks later on October 13th. Uh, participants engaged in three successive 12-week classes, and starting on their seventh week, they got paired with a budget coach that they met with weekly until the program ended. Um, you can read a full report of it at our website. It's on the CompTM flyer, loveinksj.org, but I want to give you a few highlights um, of the six families that started, five stayed with us all 36 weeks. And that includes the family that I just mentioned that I had to drop from the program. The very next Sunday, the wife was there in class. And before class, I pulled her out of class and I said, what are you doing here? You've been dropped. And she says, I just really want to finish this. We want to go to the end. And I don't care if I get the incentives or not. I just want to finish. So I said, all right, so you won't be paired with a mentor, you won't get any financial incentives. If you're one minute late or if you don't have your homework done for the next six weeks, you're, any one of those six weeks, you're out. She agreed and they persevered to the end. Uh, a single woman participant said that the third of our three-week classes was life-changing and it had such an uh, impact on her that for the last two and a half months of the program, she was willing to drive weekly from Sacramento to San Jose Sunday nights to come and participate. Uh, another participant said, these classes will truly enrich your life. The spiritual riches you would receive by the end far outweigh the effort required by the program. And she, go, she went on to say, I think they should make this a required Bible study everywhere. And uh, all participants said that the program exceeded their expectations, especially in regards to the spiritual growth that took place in their lives. Uh, over the years, Dave has encouraged me uh, to do experiments here at uh, NBC before I roll things out to other network churches. That way we can see what works, what doesn't work, what needs to be changed. Uh, if it works, we can roll it out to other folks. If it doesn't, the damage gets contained to us, okay? So uh, this is one of this, uh, a similar thing, our CompTM program. So our plan this year is to run our CompTM program as a neighborhood Bible church community group. Okay, just like 
any of the other community groups we have. It's going to be a 36-week-long community group, and we're looking for the core of both participants and coaches to come from Neighborhood Bible Church. It'll be open to anybody from any other church or non, a non-church background to participate in, but we're looking for the core of the folks for this round to come from our church and to be an NBC a community group. And if this works, we'll roll that, roll that out next year and take turns through the different uh, network churches uh, uh, doing that, being the core of the group. Um, based on my experience last year in the first round, I think that you'll find that a comp TM CG group could be the most tight-knit and beneficial group that you've ever been a part of. And beneficial not only in terms of uh, your finances, but growing in your relationship with God. And I want you to know that I speak from personal experience in this, that Nancy and I went through the first round last year as participants, all right? We weren't coaches. We were participants, just like the other folks. So we had homework to do, just like everybody else. We met with a budget coach, just like everybody else. The only difference is that we didn't get the financial incentives that they... Uh, they got. And I did that for two reasons. One is because I designed the program, so I wanted to see if what I thought was brilliant on paper actually worked out in real life. And there are some things that didn't, so we made some changes this year. But the other thing is I figured, you know, Nancy and I could use the financial discipline that the program calls for. Uh, so, for instance, one of the first homework assignments was to go back and look at your monthly expenses and come back the next, uh, the next meeting and cut one expense, having cut one expense. And so that forced Nancy and I, during the week, to look at our expenses, especially uh, expenses that were on autopilot, you know, charges that were getting charged on our credit card every month that we hadn't really thought about for a long time, and to, to think, do we really want to keep paying for these things? And as a result, we came back next week, and we had cut $143 per month from our savings from just uh, that, that exercise. Um, and most significantly, the program helped us grow in our relationship with God. Um, in your bulletin, I've got this uh, brochure on the CompTM program, and I uh, encourage you to look at that. And uh, it gives all the details about it, but I want to hit a few of the highlights. Here's the brochure right there. I want to hit a few of the highlights. Uh, the 36-week program will run from March 1st until November 1st with a two-week summer break. And by the way, the two-week summer break is when the Israel trip happens. So you can still go to Israel and be a part of this uh, program. Um, there's an info meeting next Sunday night, uh, February 23rd. That's a prerequisite for both uh, participants and coaches. And the deadline to sign up, sign up for that informational meeting is this coming Friday at noon. In your bulletin is the phone number you need to call by Friday at noon uh, to let us know that you're interested in being either a coach or a participant. The program itself takes place Sunday nights from 5 o'clock to 7 p.m. at a church near here. And child care is provided for kindergarten through sixth grade. There's three 12-week classes that form the, the, the educational core. The first is called the Faith and Finance. And it's a broad overview of personal finance from a, a biblical perspective. It's put out by the folks that wrote the book, When Helping Hurts. Anybody familiar with that book? Great read on how to help people in need in a, in a um, biblical way. Uh, they put out the curriculum for this, and it does a great job of uh, just an overview of financial education from a uh, biblical perspective. The classes are designed to be very engaging, intera interaction, a lot of discussion, role play, even artwork. And get this, every class is preceded by a free dinner. 
So for 12 weeks, we feed you dinner before class starts, which is a great way to get to know the other folks in the class. We really found it was a, a wonderful uh, benefit last year. The second class is called Affirming Potential, and it asks uh, participants to examine the four wheels of their life, the physical wheel, the emotional, relational, and spiritual wheel. And it also asks uh, clients to start dreaming about uh, what would they like to see happen in life and then to set some goals up to make those things happen. And the whole idea is getting people some quick wins so they can have hope things can be different. They don't have to be the way they always were. And the third class is called uh, Becoming What God Intended by Dr. David Ekman. One of the things I've learned about uh, alleviating poverty in the last 18 years is that uh, it's the gospel that changes lives. And this class uh, bears that out. Uh, the class caused us to think deeply about the basis of our identity and challenged us to adopt God's opinion of us. I want to just read you an excerpt that I thought was very fascinating about this, and it's actually the reason we included this as a third class. Uh, Dr. Eckman says, Tempting, easygoing, happy people is very difficult. On the other hand, tempting the discontented, the guilty, the anxious, or those who feel worthless is extremely easy. Tempting is easy because the atmosphere of the heart is already primed for moral collapse. And he points out that people are in pain already, and they uh, therefore look for a way to anesthetize themselves to pain through their favorite addiction. And uh, Ekman says that the antidote is to make the basis of our identity our relationship with Christ and let our identity in Christ inform our emotions so that our heart is filled with a reservoir of positive emotions. So basically, the, the remedy is adopt our Heavenly Father's opinion of us, which is that we're worth a son. We're worth giving the life of Jesus for. And that change in self-perception provides the radical healing that God desires. And the reason I included that is because without the emotional healing that God desires to give us, we're not going to be able to make those long-term uh, sustainable lifestyle changes. Let me just give you an example of this with uh, a reference to two support groups. The first is uh, AA, and the second is Celebrate Recovery. So a typical introduction at an AA meeting goes like this. Hi, I'm Rich, and I'm a, what? Alcoholic, okay? Uh, now, I totally get why they do that. It's putting your struggle with alcohol right out there at the very start of the meeting, lets the other people in the group know that you're a fellow traveler on the road to sobriety, but here's the thing. Do you really want your identity be, to be so wrapped up in your addiction that that's how you introduce yourself? Um, compare that to the way people introduce themselves at a Celebrate Recovery meeting. That's a Christ-centered 12-step program. Introductions at those meetings go like this. Hi, I'm Rich, and I'm a beloved child of God who struggles with. Do you see the difference? Um, as a Christian, your identity is based on the fact that you're a beloved child of God, not on the current addiction that you're battling. Uh, I met this past week with a guy who's, who leads a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University program at his church. And he said that they were doing an introductions in the first class, and there was a woman there that said, this is my third time going through Financial Peace University. And she, she explained that two times before, she'd gotten completely out of debt, and then when the program ended, she went right back into debt again. And uh, uh, behavior modification 
only goes so far and lasts for so long if we don't deal with heart issues beside, behind the destructive behavior. You know, it's not like people need to hear, you should spend less money than you make. And they would say, oh, why didn't I hear that 40 years ago? That would have saved me so much grief, right? It's not like you need to hear, you should burn less calories than you consume if you want to lose weight. Oh, thank you, right? There's issues going on in the heart that are driving these things, right? And unless you deal with those issues in the heart, you're not going to have long-term uh, sustainable change. And that's what the program seeks to do, deal with both changing behavior and changing hearts. Um, so before I say a word to those that might be considering going through as participants, I want to speak to those who might be considering coaches. Uh, I went to a training for this in uh, Idaho by Love Inc. there that uh, runs a CompTM program. Their program goes from a, a year to 15 months, okay? And uh, I was just amazed that they could do that. And my thought was, well, it's Idaho. There's not that much to do, you know? So <laughs> maybe, maybe folks are willing to be budget coaches there, you know? But that's never going to work in Silicon Valley. And I went to, uh, I went to a graduation program and I heard the dramatic stories of life change of people that have graduated from the program. And uh, very impressed by that. And I, after the program, I struck up a conversation with the guy who was behind me who had finished the training to be a budget coach. And I said, wow, you're one of those people. <laughs> I'm thinking, you must not have much of a life if you're willing to do this. You know? But uh, I said, so you're willing to take a year of your life and, and come here on a weekly basis to help people? And his response amazed me. He said, absolutely. And then he said, did you hear the stories people told? He said, why would I not want to be part of that? You know, for him, it was the most uh, enriching volunteer experience he could think of to really be involved in helping someone change their life. So we brought it back, and last year we had folks that were willing to make a nine-month commitment to be a budget coach. Uh, in fact, every one of our clients had both a, uh, a primary and a backup budget coach. Now, one of the things that helps is that we do have a backup coach. So if you're a primary coach, you can take vacation, you can be sick. If you need to skip a week, you can do that. We've got a backup coach that will fill in. Backup coach only ends up serving about every six to eight weeks. So if you can't make a, a commitment as a primary coach, that's a good service opportunity too. Um, now, for those that are you are considering uh, being participants in the program, you might have said, as I had said in years past, that this is the year. This is the year we're going to get our financial house in order. If you've said that before, but you haven't done it, I strongly encourage you to make 2020 the year that you get your financial in, uh, house in order with the help of Love, Inc.'s CompTM program. Here's why. Since the program is 36 weeks long, you'll be making a serious commitment to long-term lifestyle change. Here's the thing. If your financial situation could have changed quickly and easily, you'd probably already done it by now, right? This is going to take time and effort. And so by saying, I'm in for 36 weeks, uh, you're making that kind of a commitment. Uh, the other thing is that the 12-week classes, you'll be learning at all different levels how to break bad financial habits and establish good ones. And you'll do it with the support of the other people in the group. It really is like a, a support group in that way. Um, You'll get out of the mode of just winging it with your finances, and that's especially important if winging it hasn't worked out well for you. For a lot of folks, winging it usually involves uh, living beyond your means, resulting in no savings, and mounting debt. 
And uh, through this program, you'll be planning ahead of time how, you, how to spend your money so that it aligns with your values. You'll also have the personal accountability of the, uh, your budget coach as you try to make these changes. They can encourage you. They can hold you accountable. The other thing, not least of which, is that Love, Inc. will provide very attractive financial incentives to keep you motivated. So in addition to incentives you get when you come to class on time and have your homework done, uh, if you meet with a budget coach, you'll be eligible for a one-to-one savings match. So you can get 100% return on your money while you're in the program. I don't know of any other place offering that right now. Highly motivated clients could end the program with a $2,000 emergency savings fund with Loving providing 70% of the amount. That ends up to be $1,465 coming from Love, Inc. Uh, so if you want to get your financial house in order, this is a great year to do it, and Love, Inc. is a great help. Uh, if you have any interest at all in going through, either as a coach or as a participant, I strongly encourage you, look at the uh, brochure, call, make a uh, reservation by next Friday, come to next Sunday's info class. Maybe this doesn't apply to you, but as I've been thinking, you can think, hey, I know somebody who could be helped by this. Give them your brochure or on our uh, website, loveincssj.org, by this afternoon, I'll post a copy of that brochure so you can email along and forward it to them. Um, Going to give you a couple minutes to fill out your talent surveys. You can uh, hand those to the end and the other ushers will uh, come pick them up. But let me, let me pray for us before we're done. Father in heaven, thanks for... Uh, NBC's long partnership with uh, uh, Love, Inc. Thanks for the lives that have been touched and even those that have become part of our church as a result. And Lord, we pray that that partnership would just continue, that we'd see more changed lives, and Father, that our life would be changed. And Father, I pray especially for this uh, CG group coming up, that we would uh, uh, provide folks to be uh, participants and coaches and it would have a long-lasting beneficial effect uh, on our church. Uh, thanks for inviting us to be co-workers with you in helping people in need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.